Mate, did we watch a thing this week? Yeah, we did. Good day and thank you for joining us here at We Watched A Thing. It's a pleasure to have you with us um, and it's a pleasure to be with you, Billy. Did you start by saying good day? I did. That's so old school. You know, I mean, good day is actually the... That's how Australians traditionally say hello. Well, no, we say g'day. Well, yeah, then we shorten it because we're lazy. Yeah. <laughs> we, I've never heard anybody say good day. I said good day, In sir. all my 30 years in Australia, <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard that. Come on, mate. It's close to 31. <laughs> oh, you dickhead. <laughs> no, I'm young. I'm young and fresh and vibrant. <laughs> Unlike me, my knee's killing me. <laughs> well, you're, I mean, you're 36 in like two weeks, three yeah, weeks. It's, it's not far, mate. Yeah. No, you're ancient. Yep. <laughs> Um, how you been this week, buddy? Oh, look, I've been I've been all right. How, what about you? I I've been great. I've been great. Recorded a guest spot last week with the good folks at IMDb Journey. Uh, it hasn't come out yet. It comes out next week, I believe. It's their fiftieth episode. So to celebrate, they had me, our good mate Sam from Movie Reviews in Twenty Qs, and Paul from the Countdown. We all went on a giant pod v pod. That sounds uh, very fun. It was it was good fun. You weren't invited. Um, uh, clearly. Because you're the, the lesser of the show. <laughs> it, or is it just that you're the one that looks at emails? It could be that. <laughs> <laughs> look, they might have said, you know, you or Toph, and I might have just said, nah, look, you don't want Toph. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe it should have been you because, spoiler alert, I um, I did not do well in the trivia. <laughs> you, um, you did a Billy? <laughs> as, as they say in the industry, I did do a Billy. <laughs> I'm pretty sure- and I stand to be corrected on this, but I'm pretty sure voting just closed for the Australian Podcast Awards. It did. We got an email saying someone tried to vote for us and they couldn't find us there because, yeah, we, we didn't enter. We didn't enter. <laughs> yeah, that's- but we would have got a vote, you're saying? Well, we, we, yeah, we would have got at least one. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, well, let's- all right, Well, I already, I already feel like a winner now. Next year we'll enter. Okay. I hear you watched Bohemian Rhapsody during the week. Yes, I did. I did. I well, I've I've finished now. I watched all the best picture nominees. Yeah, and was uh, was the Rhapsody everything you expected it to be? Look, it's not. It's not a great movie. It's not a best picture worthy movie. That being said, it's not a bad movie. No, I agree. I think the, the worst thing about it is that it's been nominated for best picture when it's not worthy of that. Yeah, like, I think the most horrifying thing about the whole thing is that a film about Freddie Mercury is so absolutely middle of the road. Well, that's It thing. would actually be easier to deal with if it was aggressively bad. Yeah, it's really strange because it's it's both way too long and also really rushed at the same time. It's like everything happens so quickly and is so condensed and yet it, the movie's way too long. I saw um, Brian May in the press was like out there trying to tell people like this really, you know, this isn't <laughs> Brian Singer's film. And if I was Brian May, I'd be like, yeah, it's Singer's fault. <laughs> <laughs> well, Brian May's all right because it, like, it just makes him look like a bloody legend. Oh, he's a saint. <laughs> like, he- I don't think he's ever touched a drink in his life. <laughs> yeah, yeah if, you, if you believe the movie, then yeah, he's just he's just a nice family man with long rocker hair. That's <laughs> God. Um, saw another movie, though. Yeah. If Bill Street could talk. That's fun, because I also saw that. Maybe we should talk about that this week. Let's do that. Let's do it. If Beale Street Could Talk is a 2018 American romantic drama film directed and written by Barry Jenkins and based on James Baldwin's novel of the same name. Stars Kiki Lane, Stephen James, Coleman Domingo, Toyona Paris, Michael Beach, Dave Franco, Diego Luna, Pedro Pascal, Ed Scrain, Brian Tyree Henry, and Regina King. And what's it about, Tove? Well, if Beale Street Could Talk is either... 
a social commentary wrapped up in a love story, or it's a love story wrapped up in a social commentary. Yeah, I'd call I'd I'd call it primarily a love story. I think, and let, I mean, let's get right into it. Thoughts. Um, I hated the mouth breather behind me who <laughs> came in five minutes into the film oh. and started opening up his food very loudly in what is oftentimes a very quiet film. Yeah, and start very quiet, munching yeah. away, and I was like, mate. I hate you. Look, can we just make it clear, just in case people thought that story was going somewhere else? It wasn't me. Uh, it did occur to me. <laughs> <laughs> like, Halfway through that story, I'm really? like, people are going to think he's talking about me. <laughs> no, we did not see this movie together. That was not me. <laughs> uh, but the film itself, tell me about. Okay, here's, here's what I would say. Barry Jenkins might not be top of the heap of people who I will most look forward to their next film. But he's pretty close. Yeah, I. So we recorded our last couple of episodes out of order, bit loosey goosey. So last week on Trainsporting, you were Trainsporting. Heard- <laughs> last week on prequel <laughs> to Trainsporting. <laughs> last week on Trainsporting, you would have heard me say that I have not watched Moonlight. About two weeks prior to that, you heard me talk about watching Moonlight. <laughs> but yes, I have seen Moonlight, and I, I bloody loved it. I. You had it in your top five of that year, and I Certainly. would agree. Had I seen it that year, it would be in my top five as well. I liked Beale Street even more. I oh, loved I this movie. Another thing that, that did make me think of you while I was in the cinema is that the film, like, it just almost luxuriates in the way it moves at its own pace. Yes. Not unlike your good self. <laughs> it's not It's not rushed. Yeah. It's there, and you can come to it. Yeah. And luxuriate in it as well. That's the thing. For what at times can be quite dramatic, it's it's very much primarily a love story. It really focuses on the relationship between these two people. Uh, and I love the structure of the film. How it's not it's not linear. It's it's told through flashbacks that aren't. They're not. Fr- it's not like when you see in movies someone kind of look up into the sky and you hear the tingle and you get the flashback. It's just shown out of sequence. But. That's such a clever way of giving you this rounded view of this relationship because you see them at various points. And, yeah, I loved it. And a a lot of the scenes, to me, felt very intimate and also very real. Yes, very real. It's a very, very well-written movie. And the way that that Jenkins and the DP have constructed the film with- We spoke about the inconsistent use of narrow focus with glass. Yeah. This film is shot largely at, I would think about, you know, f-stop 1.8 or something. The <laughs> yeah. amount of- The focus is so tiny. And for image wankers, that looks great. But the other thing it does is that it just- It draws you into the people and doesn't let you out. Well, I'm like, like- that's just your- You know, the, their, their eyeballs are in focus and nothing else. And so everything you're watching is just centered on the people. Yes, because it's it's very intimate. That's the kind of view you would get if you were sitting 20 centimeters from that person's face and looking into their eyes. Which one of the things we spoke about with Glass is that it was it there was no kind of thought behind why it was shot that way. It was just done. Whereas this I feel it was a very distinct choice and a very smart choice and I I it is the biggest snub of the Oscars, I think, for me, that this isn't nominated for cinematography. I'm, I, I, I can't even. Because I think this is the best shot film of the year. I also watched Roma this week, which I loved, and I think that's going to win cinematography. I think this was even better. 
And, I mean, you you know, as you said, that that's how it would be just sitting there looking at these people. With yeah. the two leads, you could just sit there looking at them. That is an attractive couple. <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> Not only attractive, but su- such supreme actors. Oh. Stephen James was so wonderful in this movie. They were fantastic. It, the, like, I mean, the, the cast is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it is surprising to me that the one um, nominee we've gotten is Regina King, who is fantastic. But I would argue that there are better actors in this film, even, you know, especially our two leads. I'm shocked that they're not up. Yeah, I think the leads are brilliant. I do, I, yeah, I do think that King is fantastic. The, like the whole, the families of, of the two leads um, are, are great. We get Diego Luna, good old Rogue One, pops yep. up briefly, um, which, which was nice. Um, Brian Tyree Henry as, as that friend that, yeah, spends as, that, as Danny, that yep. day with them. He was fantastic he as really he was. as he was in Widows. Yeah, oh, just brilliant. Like Jenkins, and you know, you look at Moonlight as well. Jenkins, number one, yeah, nailed the casting. Yeah, but then his ability to to produce performances from yes. his cast would appear to be genuinely spectacular. Yeah, I'm sure that these people are brilliant to begin with, but yeah, you have to put it down to the direction when you have this level of consistency in the performances. That's got to be eked out of people and he clearly knows how to do that. How were you with the and this this kind of switches and reminded me of I mean the same thing happens in Silence of the Lambs where sometimes characters will deliver down the barrel and sometimes it's shot a bit more normally. If you like, did, did it throw you at all? The, the No, it didn't throw me at all because, as I said with the cinematography, I felt everything was a very deliberate choice. And most of the time, people are kind of delivering down the barrel. It's because they're talking directly to a person. And as I said, it's that is it's very intimate. That's the kind of viewpoint you would get were you sitting 20 centimetres from this face. And I, I thought it all flowed really nicely. I think a lot of that comes down to the editing as well. The shot motivation is very well thought out. There's no random cuts. And for a movie that is very non-linear, it all flows very nicely. Like I said, it's not like you've got the little that says, oh, hey, we're in the past now. But you are quite easily able to keep track of the timeline, I think. And mm. I think that really comes down to how well the movie's put together. Yeah, I totally agree. The, I mean, the down the barrel thing is the kind of, done badly, it, it could easily throw you. Yeah. But you're just so invested in these people that- it works to then be sitting in in their seat being talked at. Yeah. So I saw this movie with my wife and she also loved it, but not as much as I did. She wasn't happy with some of the kind of loose ends that are thrown up there, which to me I'm totally fine with. But she brought up, for example, his mother who gets, you know, very upset about the pregnancy. And then that plot line completely falls off after that scene and you never catch up with her again. You don't know if she ever met her grandchild. Were you okay with the lack of following those subplots through? Yeah, I, I, to be honest, I don't care. Yeah, me neither. I, I think that it, it worked to show the drama um, for Tish in that moment. And I didn't really care about his mother from that point onwards. Yeah, The story it, wasn't about her as far as I was concerned. Yeah, I think I feel the same way. If it was a more- overarching story, then certainly that would be weird that that just tails off into nothing. But we're so centred on Tish and Fonny that, okay, well, that that episode with Tish is done, uh, so I'm okay to do what the film does and just move on. That scene in the house where Tish tells everybody that she's expecting is like the agility of the filmmaking there in a really non-showy way is, I think, fantastic. Like you think of- Fonny's the far the the character of Fonny's dad, who 
He's the most genial character we've come across to this point in time. And then in a flash, and yet without seeming unnatural, the guy hits his wife. Yeah. And it's it's startling. It is. And yeah. yet it, it, it also feels believable. It does, yes. Let me this this is something you it's it's a topic that you normally bring up. And during the film I was just sitting there going, This is phenomenal. The score in this film. Uh, yeah, I'm really glad that this got the nomination for score. And yes, this is my pick for winning score. This is so sublime. It just fits everything so- And the fact that you even noticed it, who, as you said, you don't normally pick up on score that much, but it is just so perfect. This score, I, I mean, I noticed it because it's just too damn good not to. Yeah. But it doesn't- it doesn't stand out there by itself getting noticed. It just complements the story stunningly well. And the mu- it's its really affecting. Yes. Yeah. Done by Nicholas Brattel, who, of course, also did Moonlight. But he's also worked on all of Adam McKay's films. So, he also scored Vice this year. Uh, but he's just absolutely- It's stunning. Fantastic. It, it, it really is one of my favourite scores in- um, in recent times. Yeah. I mean, I do think we had a lot of great scores this year. I was also a huge fan of the score for First Man. That was another score that straight away I looked up to check it was on Spotify. And this score was exactly the same for me. This is a score that is so strong and emotive that you can listen to it and almost relive those beautiful moments from the film through the score because it's just so- It's just got such that essence. You mentioned, and I mean, I just- I couldn't agree with you more about how on earth this film is not nominated for cinematography. If you were the Academy, would Barry Jenkins be up for Best Director? Yes. To me, this is the biggest snub of the year. I can't believe that it's not up for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Lead Actor, Best Lead Actress, Best Cinematography. There are so many categories that I feel like this film should be up for. Like, honestly, someone would have a hard time convincing me that this film shouldn't be up for Best Picture. Someone would have a hard time convincing me that Jenkins shouldn't be up for Director. And someone would don't even bother trying to convince me that this shouldn't be up for Cinematography. I mean, this is easily better than four out of the eight films that are up for Best Picture. And like- By some way. Yeah, I'm not talking about I think it edges some of them. It's largely ahead of the pack. As we said in the Oscars episode, the the whole Oscars this year was a schmozzle. Like the whole thing with- Uh, you know, the popular vote category, which was clearly just a way to try and get Black Panther in there because it is an important film this year. Beale Street was sitting right there and it is a far better film. Let's talk about some of the other kind of side pieces in the film. Were you thrown by a random Dave Franco appeared? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I wasn't thrown because it. I think if I'd recognised him in the first two seconds on screen, maybe it would have. Yeah, I did recognise him in the first moment he appeared. And I said to my wife, holy shit, that's Dave Franco. And she was like you. She didn't notice him at first. But uh, yeah, because I did, it really threw me. <laughs> but so you, that didn't bother you? No, no, it didn't. I thought, I thought. well, firstly, I thought he was good. Yeah. I, so I, it, it, yeah, if he, if he had been stinking it up, then it would have been like, why is Dave Franco here? Um, but I liked his character. I thought the character worked well. Yeah, same. I really liked the way that he's kind of our break from the the misery that's heaped on these people through. As, as Tish puts it, the game is rigged. Yes. And I think the film handles that theme or that idea really well. For me, the film 
is not about blame at all. Like, no one is looked at and said, you're a bad person, this is your fault. Again, as Tish puts it, the game is rigged. Yes. This is a societal problem, not, yes. not like, your fault. Although, like, yeah, sure, you're a, you're a member of society and we can be better, but it's the, the film is far more interested in addressing problems. Definitely. Yep. While we're on that subject, let's talk the ending. I like that was one of the best endings in cinema history. I think we like when we spoke about the Godfather, we spoke about the ending of that film and what a gut punch it was. And, and this, this felt exactly the same to me. I'm, it was just the, the perfect note to end on. I think, were you expecting that he would get out? Like, were you hoping for a happy ending as such? Oh, I was like, I mean, Human nature makes you hope for it, but yeah. I, I was never expecting it because I thought I, I just didn't think Barry Jenkins was going to be okay with giving us the the cotton candy version. He's such a masterful filmmaker, though, because the same thing happens in Moonlight, where the ending feels happy. Like, the ending of Beale Street, I wouldn't say that this ends on a dour note. The movie ends, and, and in some strange way, you're almost uplifted. Like- more than a drama, more than like, yes, it has a lot of messages in there about, you know, the way society is and stuff. But more than that, it's a love story. This is really the story of these two people and their love. Like, I would compare this film to, say, Before Sunrise or Eternal Sunshine of a Spotless Mind. This is really a dissection of a relationship to me. And yeah, the ending somehow has this way of making you feel almost happy, even though, let's face it, he's probably in there for life. Like, he probably pled guilty to get out of a death sentence and get put down to life. I don't think he'd be in there for life. You reckon? I wouldn't have thought so. I mean, he's not hes not in there for murder, so I doubt- I don't, But I, I think that that's the point of the-, the Like, the game is rigged. Yeah, and it, uh, the, like, the film just does this so well, where not only, not only is Fonny getting screwed over by the system, but then the dominoes fall and- both, you know, like both of their she's in a terrible situation. Yeah, their fathers turned to crime because the justice system failed their yes. son. Yep, and it's a vicious cycle. You get and failed by the justice system, and you turn to that life, yeah. which and puts so now you back into that system. Now this kid has grandfathers who now are criminals. Yeah, and a father who's in prison. Yeah, and you can kind of, there's a dot 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 as to what this kid's life will be. Yeah, through no fault of anyone he's related to. The other thing I loved about the film is the way it evokes the time period without specific- I don't remember it ever saying early 70s. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. Um, it just- because it ju- it gives you enough and just leaves it up to you. Yes. Yeah. Like, you could almost imagine in your head that this is today, present it could, day. And I think that's- I think it's deliberate and brilliant yeah. because, of course- some of the things the film is talking about are, of course, pressing. Yeah, they're still modern relevant issues. Yeah. So the fact that it doesn't completely remove you from modern life is a great choice. Yeah, like obviously you don't see cell phones, for example, but you also don't see a lot of orange and brown. <laughs> like, it's, like, it's, it's, shrimp, shrimp cocktails yeah. everywhere. You don't see a lot of like bathrooms with lime green tilings on the wall, like fondue parties. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that turn into key parties. <laughs> Yeah, like, it it doesn't ram the 70s in your face and it doesn't, like, it just, yeah, it just lingers and, you know, there's enough there that you can figure it out, 
But yeah, it's definitely open to your own brain, which, yeah, again, I love. Way to be good at your job, Barry Jenkins. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I'm out of things to say. Do you have anything further? I think I'm done. What are you scoring it? I'm a, I'm a hard eight. I'm a hard nine. There is so little to fault this film on. I just think it, it flows perfectly. Even if you have 10 minutes of just them talking. And, and the film, like, it lives in its silences so brilliantly. Yeah. It's a very quiet film. But, yeah, I think there are so many wonderful elements of this film. And for me, I, I think it's now probably taken my top spot of the year, I think. Certainly for 2019 so far from oh, what right. we've seen. Okay. But probably for 2018 films as well. Yeah, geez. If you want to go watch some good filmmaking, then catch up on this film, which finally made it to this side of the Pacific. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. What are we getting to next week, buddy? Uh, we're going to catch up on another film from a little while back, The Sisters Brothers. Yeah, is that is that the third film from last year where John C. Riley was basically in an old timey duo? <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm excited for this because I like I am such a John C. Riley fan. Like I'm a massive fan of serious John C. Riley. Yeah, and I couldn't give a fuck <laughs> about comedy Riley. <laughs> So, uh, like, you know, Boogie Nights and stuff, like that Riley, I love so much. Yeah. So, I'm ca- and I mean, Wagon Phoenix is Wagon Phoenix. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're finally, finally getting some of these uh, late releases from last year coming over this side of the world. <laughs> so. And, I mean, you know, we need something to just occupy us until Big Shark. <laughs> I can't wait for Big Shark. <laughs> I cannot wait. <laughs> I really, I'm praying for a theatrical release. Oh, do you surely. think there's any chances? If we have to drive interstate, I'll, oh, yeah. I'll do it. Oh, absolutely. If there's only one showing in Australia and it's like the other side of the- If it's in Perth, we're going. Yeah. <laughs> All righty. Well, in the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, you can do that at wewatchedathing.com or wewatchedathing at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all under the handle at wewatchedathing. If you want to help support the show, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash wewatchedathing, and we'll catch you next week. Go watch a movie, everyone. I think that's our dirty bird, mate. Hello. (laughs) That might be our fried chicken. Food's here. Stop recording. (laughs)